Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the HR Revolution or Evolution. No matter what way you look at it, we're here to have thoughtful conversations around how HR is evolving around the new needs of the business. So how we put it, this is the revolution of HR for the evolution of business today. Uh, and we have conversations with thought leaders as well as ourselves to really talk about what's working, what's not working, and what are other organizations doing that is finding success um, and how we can replicate that into our day jobs to apply as to where we're working today and how we can help move the needle more for the specific individual employee, but also the business at the end of the day. And today I have Chris Darone as my co-host with me um, as we sit down with, uh, with Mike. And uh, Chris, how's it going today, brother? It's going great, Kevin. Thank you so much. Great to be here for another episode of the HR Evolution. And, you know, again, for all of our, our listeners, our viewers, HR professionals, CEOs, practitioners, you know, everyone that can gain some knowledge, some insight from the, from the guests that we have. And today's guest is no exception. We have Dr. Michael Ackerbauer with us, who is an organizational consultant and transformational leader at IBM throughout his career. Michael has coached executives and managers across a range of environments to provide team members the structure and the freedom to perform at their best. He's a strategic thought leader and partner provided value and insights on innovation, constructive conflict, creativity, and change leadership. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you, Mike, for taking the time to join us and talk with us today. Well, Chris, Kevin, thanks so much for the invite. Um, got to know Kevin a little bit this year, and we just really hit it off, and it, it went from what's my career look like to, hey, why don't we talk more? And so I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I think you got that right. And uh well, Mike, uh, we it brought us here to have this conversation today, and I'm really, really excited for this because I think towards the back half of the conversation is really where we're going to get into some fascinating things, and uh, we got a lot of problems right now, a lot of problems and challenges that need solving, and uh, I think you're, you're, you're perfect to kind of share some of the insights that you've garnered over all these years of experience um, as the best way to, to navigate those um, together, uh, and that's what Chris and I talk about co quite commonly about collective intelligence and really how do we start to pull in all these brilliant minds, but also these experiences, these challenges, these successes, um, but also failures um, to really put and chart a path forward. Um, so I always like to start to, to know who I'm talking to by the food that they eat. So Mike, <laughs> you're taking me out to your favorite restaurant and Chris is joining us. What yeah. is that restaurant and what are you demanding that we order? Oh, there's two. <clears throat> One is kind of like where I go for, you know, post broadcast conversations. It's called Tavern 23. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's kind of like you wouldn't know it. If, if you didn't know where to find it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it was even there. I love and, those old. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've been around a while. They've got a really good following. They've got great food and a, a wide variety of um, IPAs and dark beer. My two favorites. All right. And uh, and the wings are exceptional. And there was a place years ago that was the place for wings. It was called Southside Cafe. And, and that guy um, tragically, unexpectedly died. And we actually have a broken heart from losing his wife. And and uh, that was the place I went for everybody. We're going for wings. We're going to Southside. Well, this is my new Southside. Wow. And the other one, the other one, which is also exceptional, is called Shotzi's Beer Garden, also in downtown Poughkeepsie. And it's, uh, it's kind of got a German flavor. They're known for the pierogies. They have a wide variety of beers as well. But they have one, you look up Shotzi's in, uh, on BuzzFeed, 
you'll find them as one of the top 15 or 21 burgers that will change your life. And it's true. All yeah. right. <laughs> but I go there, I go there for the Korean barbecue or kimchi. They call it truck tacos. Okay. Truck tacos are insanely good. And they use the same pork belly on the burger as well. So if you want to try both, you kind of, you got to do both. Wow. Yeah. You had me at hello, Mike. I heard good beer. <laughs> good beer, good food. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Tacos and wings. That's great. So thank you, Mike. Again, another one of the, another one of the reasons why we ask these, these questions be, at the early on is because we want to get to know our guests on a human level, not just, you know, the professional thought leader level. So from a music standpoint, right, you're, yeah. you're getting ready for your day. You've got something, you know, popped in. What's, what's on your playlist that you listen to that really pumps you up? Lately, I've been listening to a band that uh, their first album was in 1991, and they just put out a new one this year, 30 oh. years later. Wow. Only took them 30 years, <laughs> and it's, it's almost as good as the first one. And the name of the band is Chagall Guevara. And it's a, it's a mashup of um, Che Guevara and um, Mark Chagall. So uh, that, that stands for, it, it means to interpret, the interpretation is uh, revolutionary art. And, uh, and they're just, they're just a, a very unique band. They've got a really interesting social commentary and they just freaking rock. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another they, band. Where are they based out of? Nashville. Okay. Nashville. Right. There are a bunch of guys you've never heard of. A um, bunch of studio players, one guy, um, they were all part of the Christian music industry in the 80s and 90s and just couldn't find a good home there. Their music kind of transcended the, the, the boundaries of, of the way that the Christian music industry was morphing. And, and they're like, we've got stuff to say and it doesn't have to be specifically related to the Christian genre. It just kind of is a little more transcendent in terms of the artistic expression. Yeah. And they have a very very rabid cult following That's and great. the other band that i'm extremely fond of and listen to as much as i can and when i'm training online we'll do like on 10 minute breaks i'll play little outros and intros and i'll yeah. take requests from the class attendees but i start with i call it the best band you never heard of and it's called they're called the 77s okay. just these are the two best bands you've never heard of 77s <laughs> the rumor was and I, and I heard the lead singer just debunk it recently, so it's, it's too bad. It's an urban legend that, um, th this part is true, they were on the Island record label in the late 70s, early 80s. And so the legend goes, Sony would pick up one artist from Island a year, their hottest artist, and they'd say, give them to us and we're going to promote them, put them big time, make them go worldwide. Well, it just so happens that the 77s were on the label, according to myth, along with U2. Okay. And wow. that's why you've never heard this band. Gotcha. They were the. They are. That's right behind you too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got to, if you got to come in well, second place. History, okay. Lesson, as well as uh, what we're learning about your musical taste. Yeah, that's great. So let's just <laughs> call it rock, rock and roll. Perfect. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> oh, mammoth. Mammoth. Oh wow, he's even got the shirt right here. Oh, I got the yeah. shirt. <laughs> Mammoth WVH. You are a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got Wolfgang. to see him in March. Yeah. yeah. That is Wolfgang. awesome. Wolfgang is everything his dad said. Yeah. I mean, he's he's amazing. That's great. I yeah. love so, it. One of the things I, I mean, you brought it up and uh, you used the word revolutionary art uh, to define yeah. that yeah. band, right? And yeah. then yeah. that's kind of where I guess I'll, I'll start the, the conversation today to, to kind of lean in to, to start uh, the discussion. But when we say the revolution, right, and revolution of HR for the evolution of business, Mike, it's always a pleasure for me to ask what that means to you. 
Yeah. There's a there's a very well known in my circles, in my academic circles, there's a very well known researcher named Michael Curtin, K-I-R-T-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a he does a he created a measure. How do you express your creativity? Is it more adaptive or is it more innovative? So it's the curtain adaptive innovative scale. And the far left on one one end is adaptive is evolutionary. And you know you work within the constraints you have. You make small incremental progress or changes over time. And then the far end of the other side of the continuum is uh, revolutionary, innovative. There is no box. Yeah. It's not. We're outside the box. There's the question is what what is a box? Yeah. There are no boundaries. And so you you get measured. I think on a scale of one to one eighty on that. And so I think of that all the time, especially when working with people like first adopters or early innovators or laggards and lemmings and okay, what do you do to help the, the adaptive become more risk-taking uh, and, and open to risk? And the other ones, are you open to a little bit of guardrail to kind of keep you in focus? Mm-hmm. Um, I also have this phrase, and I love the revolutionary, um, uh, the revolution of, how'd you say it? But the revolution of, to the evolution of business. I just love that. Yeah. Revolutionizing of HR to the evolution of business. I love this concept of revelation brings revolution. The idea is the insight or the mindset mindset shift, too much coffee. The mindset shift is what leads to those kind of cool breakthroughs that lead to something really, really necessary, impactful, essential, and unexpected. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, and to, I guess, continue on with that, right, is a yeah. lot of the conversations we have with HR practitioners, right, is they want to be viewed differently, right? Yeah. This is really the essence of what you're saying is the intentionality behind the role is to that intention drives your attention to whatever role um, that you're going to play, the attention to detail, what questions that you'll ask, how you listen, how you hear, all those other pieces, but they have to be different, right? So in order for them to be different, what are the types of things that you've seen to be most successful within the role uh, within HR or organizational design and development what intentionality are you starting with or have you seen others start with to help them kind of in this journey, this evolution uh, by self or of the business itself? Yeah. Let's think about that a couple of layers. One is a natural coach in an HR organization. I, I liked that they brought us in from CIO because they wanted to transform HR. We weren't well utilized. However, I got to work with a bunch of different people, some really smart, engaging, get stuff done kind of people. Mm-hmm. And, and they really, what I think I saw across the board was they had a commitment to excellence and they wanted to do good, meaningful, important work. And they wanted to be agile or at least express the um, empathy for agility. And, and of course, my bent is anywhere I get called into an engagement or training or learning, I'm going to bring in where's your intentional deliberate creativity in this engagement, this context, this work you do, the way you work together. So I really preach diversity of thinking is what matters. And all the other, all the other words that we say have to lead to that. You, you have to provide an environment and cultivate an environment where people are not only open to new ideas, but they're, they're they feel safe to participate in the conversations. Mm-hmm. No safety, no creativity. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. No, no bravery, courage, or vulnerability, no new ideas. 
I mean, when it, that's that's a great point that you bring in, and I think the term you use is creative constraints, right? Yeah. And yeah. and uh, I think traditionally what we find is you've got leadership teams and management teams who are risk averse, right? They they don't want to take the time it takes to be innovative and creative because they know it takes additional time. Um, they they don't want to give people the ability to fail because hey, we've got a job to do, right? And we got to keep moving forward. So how do you change right. that mindset you know, yeah. from a leadership management standpoint to say you've got to give your team members the grace to be able to take the time and to fail and how do you do that when it's not an option sometimes yeah yeah you 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 have to you have to you got to give leaders something that they can hold their hat hang on to something tangible they know is coming yeah and and i think the same people that have done really great work that i've worked alongside or they've called us in somewhere in the engagement hey we're getting ready to launch can you show us where Agile fits? Yeah. Well, well, okay. That it, it, you're making it a nice to have instead of, and I don't mean agile the mechanics, but it, agile agility and being responsive to change, okay. and being able to quickly. I I call it. Uh, remind me, um, Chris, what your question was. <laughs> um, I call agility the ability to, or the way I work with teams. I'll say, what you want to do is build your capability of doing the work well, consistency of throughput. The more we can be efficient in what we do and predictable in how, how much and how often we deliver, yeah. the more likely that the leadership will trust us to take on new kinds of work. And we can say with confidence, this is what it'll take. Okay. And when you build that trust level, then experimentation kind of falls into that because now we're managing expectation of what's the, for management leadership, what's the right work to do. We'll tell you how much we can do over time and how much you can expect when. Of And I don't mean this thing's done, that thing's done. These are the check boxes, but this is the value we can create and how much time so that there's room to experiment within the trust trusted constraints. That's great. That's and I think, it, yeah, you did answer the question around okay. constraints. And I think the, the key point there is, you know, establishing the credibility up front so that, you know, at the end of the day, that management team, leadership team really knows that they're going to get the deliverable they're looking for. Right. So that's good. Right. Thank you. My, my, Which is, uh, yeah. Which is really no different. Just hearing you talk, Mike, is 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 other or other departments within the organization or institution have already realized the internal politics of their role. So we talk yeah. about marketing going through their evolution, and all of a sudden, then they became more numbers driven because they knew that that was now arming the CEO, CFO as to what are we getting from our investment, right? And and same mm -hmm. thing. Um, from from an accounting principles and practices standpoint as well, making the the bookkeeper, the CFO, the right hand uh, man or woman of of the CEO. Yeah. But yet HR is still kind of in this intermediary awkward stage, and here a lot of organizations relied so heavily on their HR department and their set expertise during the pandemic, during times of challenging uh, or, or, or uh, unpredictability, if you will. And, and, yeah. and people are predictable. Yeah. Um, and this is really, I think, what drives finance teams and leadership teams crazy is the unpredictability of people. How do you continue to build and establish <laughs> that credibility and that trust with something that's so unpredictable? Um, how do you build that? And, and, and maybe you can walk us through maybe the first interaction that you're having with a said manager or leader to try to pull out what they what is what is their def, individual definition of success maybe you can walk us through kind of what that process is so yeah. then you can find your agile alignment to their definition instead of our own 
Yeah. So I did this with the with the with the director who we reported to when we first moved to HR. He had a very um, progressive thinking chief of staff right hand, and and the guy said, "Hey, Mike, I like the stuff that you did with my team, or when you're teaching some agility stuff. Why don't you come in and do that for his staff?" And so I did, and I and I gave him these cards with different types of language on it, and I said, "Pick a card that sounds like the language sounds like you. Pick one that doesn't sound like you." Mm-hmm. And I put these four columns up that represented that language. And I said, if it's this color, put it here, 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 and here. And what I showed them was um, the majority of you really want to spend a lot of time on the front end of innovation. What is the problem space we're trying to solve for? What is the landscape? What is the current reality? What's the desired future state? And what are some big ideas that address the gap between the two? And then one or two of you maybe express interest for the back half of, of innovation, the back end, which is let's take the raw ideas, let's turn them into something tangible. Let's, let's optimize some piece parts, look at some potential prototypes we can, we can play with. Let's try delivering something tangible that's just enough for now to measure and then inspect and adapt. And I went, oh, look at that. The group that's here in this organization, the leadership team, is all about, at a macro level, design thinking. You hired on a guy as, as in my leader and my team, we're all about the back end of innovation. He was like the only one in the back end, and that's agile, agile ways of working. So when we talk constructs, they were all about the design thinking. We were all about the agile ways of de- delivering those really delightful intended outcomes. And, and it was that mismatch that there were a couple of aha moments. And, and to her credit, the leadership development executive on the team said, I want you to go build some curriculum on this for us. What none of them did is say, how do we incorporate that into what we do now? Yeah. yeah. Which would have been, you know, the way to the way to prove it works for the people you're delivering it to mm-hmm. online would be to freaking embody it, I think. Which and was, I think that's too hard, right? But that I mean Well, why? Like, why is it too hard for leaders to say, if I'm gonna ask them to be and do this, why will I not be the bully pulpit and servant leader in that? Why wouldn't I model it first? Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of theories on that. I would just say that uh, here's what I think. I don't believe we really did much in, in, by way of reflection during the lockdown, organizationally and as leaders, maybe individually, but I don't know that we ever said, how do we make this for everyone? Here's an example of, of how I've introduced agility to teams. Um, uh, I don't remember his name. The CEO of 1-800-Flowers is a graduate of Marist College where I'm an adjunct instructor. And so I got to sit in on a talk he did in early lockdown during the decade of 2020. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how they were looking at how can we help our teams, how are people, wellness and resilience, um, self-care, your buzzwords of the day. And I don't mean to diminish them just to say, we, we also, we throw around a lot of terms and we think we know what we mean and we don't know what we mean. So, there's, so that, that's on top of it all. Um, and we dance around what we really mean. So they spent time investing in their people. How are you doing? Here's some stuff that we think would be helpful to you. Their own people, their own family internally. And, and 1-800-Flowers also, I think they have uh, edible arrangements. I think they've got that company too. So like they're sending out chocolate care packages and things to their family member, employee family members who are in nursing homes and that kind of thing, just to show the care and just to make sure everybody feels no, um, their, their felt needs are being uh, acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, why don't we do that for our customers? So they sent an email. Just want to see how you're doing. They didn't say, Hey, we're here for you. 
They said, here, these resources work for us. We think they'll work for you too. Um, stay in touch. We want to know how you're doing. And they got really great unsolicited feedback on social media about how wonderful this company was that they tilt, they pivoted in the moment and said, let's, let's show we have a soul. And that's a fundamental difference in a lot of executives I've worked with is um, the ones that have a soul, you can tell. Some people, they fake it. And boy, I sound cynical. But it's the ones who are really authentic that I think are willing to do things that will make a difference. Mm-hmm. I was just going to, what you're saying and what the answer to the previous question is, is kind of gets gets back to some of the things and conversations that Chris and I have frequently around organizations focused on the symptoms and not the actual disease and this obsession yeah. that businesses have towards the outputs, but not really understanding the inputs that take. And I can't think you kind of explain that as where people are on either the front end or back end of, of that innovation and of that process itself. But really, you have to create the necessary environment for that all to happen cohesively, effectively together. Um, And I loved your piece of just kind of touching on the wellness and and adapting and being agile. And that maybe kind of leads us into our next conversation, because I think you used 1-800-Flowers. We saw Peloton. We saw some of these other organizations that were nimble enough to quickly attack a new market opportunity where Mm -hmm. others still with their same set processes and i always use this but like steering the titanic into the erie canal so (laughs) what would you suggest because we are moving even to a faster evolving business world that organizations can start to do to really understand what agility is and means and how they can start to work towards that model because they might be passing up business opportunities due to the length of time it takes them to make decisions, almost paralysis yeah. or analysis, if you will. Yeah, yeah. A big question I would ask is, what's, what's, um, what can we stop doing? Hmm. When I was in CIO, I was in the innovation space for most of my career there, and which meant we were skunk works, we were proofs of concept, first of a kind. Let's roll it out and see what sticks. Interestingly, I note in parentheses that we did, we had five or six different virtual worlds platforms running before 2010. I mean, 15 years before Meta made it chic. My team was early in the field, actually proving it internally. And and actually rolled out, we rolled out a a variant of Second Life for the Academy of Technology to meet virtually two years running. So they didn't have to travel in 2010. So, some of the technology was homegrown. Some of it was purchased and fabricated. Some of it was licensed like Second Life. But the, the, the point being, we were, we were way ahead of all this stuff. My team built Mural or a variant of it three different times on my team alone, just to give you a sense of where I was at the time. Yeah. And um, No, so all I was asking is how organizations can start to maybe get their leadership teams around yeah. the, the agile framework, this creative problem solving. Yeah. Um, but there, what I was saying was a lot of businesses are missing opportunities and have already missed opportunities because of their inflexibility, I yeah. guess. Actually, I was, I was going to talk about stop, stop starting, start doing. It was what can we stop? Ah, okay, I remember now. Got it. Okay, so one of the things we did at CIO is we, would, we, would, we wouldn't know all the stuff that was on a given server. 
because it was an innovation space also it wasn't very disciplined on the back end i guess and so we just didn't always know what was living there we knew where the where the servers had activity but we didn't necessarily know how to pinpoint what was going on what apps were running who cared about what and so one of the things i think that'd be great for leaders to do today is ask the question we did with the server farm leaders is let's unplug it and let's see who screams yeah so if we unplug some services and people scream now we know where we have need and where we don't. People don't scream, why are we running that thing? Why aren't we supporting that thing? Why are we still carrying it? Yeah. So what are all those things that we're doing them just because they're being, we're being told to do them, but nobody's thinking critically or being the tallest blade of grass to stand up to the lawnmower and go, is this necessary? Yeah. I think those are good questions to ask and, and just force a pause. Say, what can we do differently? What can we do better? What can we stop doing? Yeah. I love that. I love that that example of unplugging it and seeing who screamed. And if you hear nothing or crickets, then there you go, right? Think it's it's crude, but it was effective. Yeah, exactly. It's very effective. That's yeah. great. Uh, you talk a lot about you know breakthrough teams and breakthrough thinking. You know, given yeah. everything that we've gone through and now virtual spaces, what do you think is you know the biggest requirement you know that's needed in, in order to help virtual teams now? still have that type of cohesiveness where they are able to achieve breakthrough results. And what does breakthrough results mean to you, I guess, is the question. Yeah, you know the Tuckman model of teaming? Yeah. So you yeah. form, yeah. you storm, you norm, you perform, yeah. maybe you adjourn. Some teams probably need to adjourn and, and reassess why do we exist. And, and then there's this thought that does every team perform the same? Do we, does it, it just, we, we meet, we, we reach our maximum capability and we just hang there and plateau. Mm -hmm. Do we, you know, I, I think, I think not. So I call, I call breakthrough. When I say breakthrough teams, I think outperforming what they're capable of or what they thought they were capable of or what, or what leadership thought they were capable of. So think of some form of, some form of um, pervasive excellence is a term getting thrown around now mm -hmm. um, that I, that I kind of like it's, it's, you know, you could have pockets of excellence as a team, but if you can get pervasive excellence, not only have you found a way to work better and produce more impact with more impact, but you're consistently capable of doing that. You're challenging yourself. So that to me is a continuous learning and a continuous improvement statement, number one. Yeah. Number two is there's three constructs I throw around a lot with organizations and leaders and teams. You have to have, number one, a shared understanding of why are we together what are we here to do? What does management expect of us? What are our goals and our objectives and our mission? And then how much does our, our, our internal compass align with those things so we want to engage to it and how committed will we be to that mission and those goals? So one, a shared purpose. Number two, how will we work in a way that fosters um, sustainability with impact, that allows for novelty, allows us to to work through new ideas and new things, but in a consistent, transparent manner that we can replicate over time. Mm -hmm. So two, shared process. Three, how will we work together to allow for um, effective communication in the form of transparency that leads to inspection and adaptation so that we, we build participative safety and trust? I think it's a much more, much more impactful phrase, participative. Yeah. Psychological safety is great if it leads me to participating in new and better ways than I would have felt comfortable doing before. Right. And trust is essential to that. If you don't have those two components, effective, transparent communication 
with participative safety and trust going hand in hand with that, you cannot have what I call creative abrasion. So you have the creative constraints from leadership, but you have the creative abrasion within the team to figure out, do we agree with the, what the right work is to do, which comes from our shared purpose? And do we agree with the way we're going to do it, which comes from our shared process? And if we don't agree on both, it isn't creative abrasion anymore. It rises to the level of conflict. So are we doing the right work purpose? Are we doing the work right process? Are we doing the work well, our shared team dynamic? That's great. If you have those, you have a fighting chance of actually doing meaningful, impactful work. And then you'll have outcomes, not outputs. Yeah, I love that. Let's start there. Let's start there. Breakthrough teams find outcomes, produce outcomes. Any, any team can do an output. Yeah, yeah exactly. And in most cases, I mean, how many outputs are, are those goals and targets are t frequently missed, right? Because they have no idea how to break them down into that granular fashion for or what they mean or, or individual yeah. exactly. or, or why they're important. Exactly. And, and kind of like what we're talking about in a lot of these cases is you keep referring to the great pause, right? Or, or taking the time out. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Each, because in a lot of organizations right now, they're trying to replace the tires while the, the car vehicle is still moving, which is a challenge, right? Yeah. Um, and I think what you talked about before we got onto the show, and I really want to get back to communication is you use a term called universal problem solving language, right? And, yes. and Chris, I talk about the use of people analytics and people data to start talking a common language at that executive or C-suite level that yep. they're going to stand and recognize, right? And usually yep. it's return on investment, it's dollars, right? To yep. numbers to, yep. how do you start that framework in those conversations to get the teams talking in a very familiar language so mm -hmm. they can collectively come together and, and tap into some of that collective intelligence to properly problem solve and, and, and fact find and, and design an action plan that's actually going to, to hit the mark for everybody. Yeah, so I, I use a very informal, formal construct uh, around the creative process. And I'll ask people as part of a formal workshop, formal, informal, but the idea of building team dynamics, we come at it, um, how do we help get better at what we do, but let's not make it political or pointing fingers at people, let's make it democratized and, and almost not quite anonymized, but let's let's bring out a level of understanding of what we're, what's going on here that we don't, we know what's happening, we don't know how to articulate it. So I'll ask the question like this, um, you have a process on your team right now, every team does, that they follow. It's largely implicit, not explicitly defined. But uh, if I come to Rochester, I'll do this especially, it's much more fun internationally. But if I'm coming to somebody's town, the way I'll, I'll start the conversation is, where can I go that the locals don't? Primarily around food and beer, but where do I want to go? Or, or what's cool to do in Rochester? To which you guys, uh, I, more generic, I'd say, hey, I've got a problem. Chris and Kevin, can you help me out? You say, of course we will, because we have a growth mindset. We want to help you. If we help you, we help each other. And so where we, let's make it that generic for now. Where do you go from there once you say yes? You're going to help me with a problem. Oh, yeah. We're going to ask, probably ask you a couple of additional questions, questions um, to yeah. actually understand as to what, where you're coming from. How do you come to that conclusion? Or yeah. is there opportunities to, to close those gaps, I guess? Yep. Yep. Okay. All that's clarification. That's step one of four. Great. Okay. So I tell you, I frame it. Uh, by the way, um, one of the reasons that I think executives struggle with taking time and experimenting is because they don't know 
they, they don't understand the Charles Kettering quote, a problem well-defined is half solved. Mm -hmm. So the more time you spend clarifying the right problem, the faster you're going to get to a solution. And guess what? Chances are you'll, you'll do it in less time or no more time than you would have if you'd said, just go do it and be done by this date. Right. And if, if I'm under that kind of chicken little mindset, uh, then chances are I'm not going to get to the right problem. So I'm going to seize on the one idea I think I, I like, and then it's hit and miss if it's going to be received. So great, we clarified. Yeah. Um, so you know the problem space enough. You go, okay, great. I know what you're trying to accomplish. Where do you go from there? Uh, ideation. Do we yeah. start? Yeah. Yep. Yep. We'll come up with some ideas, some, uh, some ways in which to address the challenge of where I am or where I want to be. Hopefully there's a number of them. If we're, if we're really thinking in big terms and divergent thinking, we're going to go for quantity. So we want to not edit our ideas or judge them. We're going to defer judgment. Deferring judgment is, and I, I really shy away from the word brainstorming because like agile, it has a really bad reputation. Yeah. Um, but when I say let's, let's go for quantity, let's not edit the ideas. No idea is a good or bad idea. It's just an idea, but mostly we care about the quantity because the quantity breeds quality. So if we do a hundred ideas, the best ideas will likely be in the last third. So the more ideas, the more likely we're going to find something novel It'll be on the back end after you and I've emptied all of our mental cues. Now we have to start thinking differently and we don't like to do that anymore. I don't know how. Yeah. So that gets challenging, but great. We've got five or six of a hundred that I go, yeah, those are interesting. They, they stand out. I'd like to, I'd like to explore those more. Great. I've got five or six really interesting ideas. What do we do now? So clarify and ideate. Yeah. We converge in some way. Sure. Yeah. Say more. I think you're, you're, um, just kind of action. Then it's designing an action plan. I think at that point, I wouldn't be like almost I, determining course of action. And you, you've jumped one, but yes. Yeah, okay. So okay. in the convergence, what we're saying is, okay, let's take one or two of those. Let's focus in on them. Let's look at what's really interesting and why they stand out the way they do. Now, what would it look like if we made something tangible out of it? Mm -hmm. So what are the piece parts that are required to make it come to life? So you kind of reverse engineer a big idea. How did we get there? Okay, so these are the practical things we have to do. Now, to your point, Kevin, when you want to go do something about it or, or plan for action, that's when we start. So, so I call that step converging big ideas in the abstract down to tangible piece parts. I call it development, developing a solution. Mm -hmm. Now that we've got a couple of solution sets we can play with and, and you know go back and forth and pluses and minuses kind of thing. Now, which piece parts can I take right now and do something with right now? That's what goes into that plan gotcha. that I then, number four, implement. Gotcha. So congratulations. You just, you just identified the Rosetta Stone for the universal problem solving language, clarity, <laughs> clarify, ideate, develop, implement. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I can solve world peace with this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you know what's funny, Mike, is I have a biology background and Chris has heard this a thousand times and anybody that knows me, I talk about it frequently, but that model is pretty much a reverse engineering of the scientific method, yeah. in essence. Sure. Yeah. Really just working backwards, you're kind of identifying what is the challenge, what is the hypothesis, what information that we would there need, um, yeah. how to test to, to make sure that that said hypothesis is accurate, are we willing... Yep. The problem, Mike, with it all is the admitment of fault, right? So that's the, the finger pointing away from the individual instead of that thyself. No, no. See, <laughs> if you've got trust. How, exactly. So it Then everything's trust. an experiment. Yeah. Perfect. How do you. And all we're doing now is making better and better prototypes. 
how do you get leaders around that idea? Because sometimes it's going to, it's, it's almost the development of the leader needs to happen essentially first to go yes. through that and this same process in order to be effective with the team. Yeah. Aha moment. Yeah. This is yeah. Dr. Stephen Covey 101, seven habits, yeah. habits of highly effective people begin with the end in mind, be yeah. proactive, yeah. seek first to understand and then be understood. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's uh, go for win-win. Uh, if we do that together, if we make the language and the environment inclusive of failure, then everything is an experiment that we either we've confirmed or disconfirmed the hypothesis. That's it. And now, let's get really good. But they're not viewed as failures when you use the word experiment, because an experiment, no. you're expected to fail and learn from it because failure right. is never final. Unless you're done learning at that point in time. So I love how you use the word experiment rather than failures and success, because you're going to go in and you might win some, you might lose some, but as long as you're continuing the learning yeah. and applying the process, you're going to yeah. figure out, uh, you're going to be learning continuously at that point. Yeah. You, if, if you're not willing to sense and respond to the front end, you're probably not going to be willing to experiment and do the scientific method on the back end. That's good. Yeah. That's and when we deal with complexity, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what we don't know. So all you're doing in complex spaces is trying to identify what unknowns need to be known and then decide which of the known unknowns you need to go know, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. You, you answered one of my questions I had prepared was, you know, why you don't like brainstorming. So you answered that for us and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, that was fantastic. Let's, let's take your, let's take the process. Let's take the model. And we all know that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So how do we help, you know, individuals who are listening to this podcast and saying, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. You know, I need to start doing that more. I need to start helping, you know, the, the internal clients or external clients that I work with. What do we do if the culture isn't of such that it's acceptance and, and it's receptive to kind of taking that, that approach? I'd, I'd ask a lot of open-ended questions that prompt reflection. Okay. Like sit down with somebody and go, you and I know that we could do better at this than we do. You, you and I know there's a better way. You know, there's, this isn't sustainable. This isn't working well, or yeah. you just, you just, you just have a retrospective with the team, even if it's informal, especially over adult beverages and you buy. What's, <laughs> yeah, you <go>. <laughs> what's working well for us? What could be different? And if we could wave a magic wand tomorrow, it's kind of the reverse of pulling, pulling the wires out of the unplugging the servers. Yeah. But if, if we could hit a, you know, a, office depot whatever the staples button is or the wave a magic wand and everything looks fabulous tomorrow what changed why what's what's different okay what's stopping us from moving in that direction and what are some things we could do right now that we don't need anybody's permission to make it better hmm. people come up with a truckload of stuff then it's a question of will they commit to doing something different yeah mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think in our in our pause, we've not learned to unlearn our learned helplessness. But you almost need their buy-in, Mike, if I'm hearing you, in order to gain their accountability within the process, because you can't yeah. just give the keys to the car and never explain how to drive. Here's the keys to the car, and this is what it means to you, and this is how we help you to enable your success here, here, and here. But yeah. involving process instead of telling them and it's the same thing of what we're looking from leaders and the difference between leaders and managers um that's fascinating to even hear and as far as that regard um as to how that 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 right there um 
helps to get them involved in the process, which raises their accountability. So then they can't say, hey, this, this was your idea, not mine. Right, right. No, you got to go with people you trust or trust you to start small and try it and prove it. Mm-hmm. Just like weight loss, just like taking on a new habit, yeah. going to the gym on a regular basis. You know, you, you got to commit to doing it once and then seeing that there's value to it and say, okay, I want to do it again and again and again. And 21 days later, I go, oh, I think I kind of like doing this. I think I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And not because they have to, because now I want to. Yeah. I think yeah, the term you used, yeah, the term you used earlier was empathy for agility. I think that that yeah. stands out. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you can't mandate transformation. And I, I recognize at the same time that I was one of the agents of the mandate for <laughs> eight years. Yeah. And some of it works and some of it doesn't. And it, yeah. and it all hinged in retrospect, it all hinged on, people's growth mindset and willing to try something new because they knew there was value in it and it was better than what they were doing then. And, and it helps that we, we said here, we're going to give you Slack and GitHub and Mural for free and we're going to adopt it across the board. And even that took a lot of time. It was, it was crazy. The, the friction there was, but then it happened and it, and it made a difference. And now people are like down on Slack because I've got, I have personally, probably 25 workspaces on my console here exactly. of which there's pushing 75 channels or direct messages on each. Now, yeah. granted two thirds of those are all IBM workspaces and it's global channel. So it's repetitive, but still it's a lot to manage, yeah. but set that aside for a minute. Cause, cause then now we've codified change and now it becomes status quo. So how do you make it better then? It still, I believe has to start with teams of people and, or, enlightened leaders, meaning they want to try something new. They want to see something better. They're willing to take risks. They're, they're, um, let's say they're not, um, they're risk ignorant where, so innovator on the scale, people who are more on the innovative side, they're risk ignorant. Mm -hmm. And the ones on the adaptive side are more risk averse or risk avoidant. So what's the right level of risk that people are willing to try it and see if it's better? And so it's the teams that don't care as much about the boundaries as much as they do the breakthroughs that are more likely to help you prove it in the wild. And then other people go, oh, okay, I see it's, yeah. it's safe to do. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah, good point. I'm, I used to the same in technology consulting, right? When you started talking about an overhaul of process, so there's some people yeah. that embrace technology, there was people that could take it or leave it, and then there was that were so against it that you were you were rocking the world and that's to your point mike i love how you put it is they need to know their the value in it yeah. but communicating For what them. that value is to that individual is a challenge yeah. how do you i guess bring and it probably goes back to um finding that common language or shared language how do yeah. you i guess boil some of these things that you're talking and discussing around around these frameworks to identify what that value is and what that does and what that means for that particular individual to get them on the bus, if you will. Yeah, that's why I switched from agile to agility. And when I do this mindful agility talk, um, and I was doing it for sales leaders, we, we, somebody reached out to me and said, would you do a masterclass in design thinking and agile ways of working for sales? And I was completely ignorant of sales. so let's see what, what we can do with this. So I'm not going to sell a seller. What I'm going to do is present these concepts of complexity and uncertainty, volatility to them and define what it means with a graph in mural with some sort of framework or, you know, 
model. And then I'd say, based on what I've explained to you about the difference between complexity and, and complex problems and complicated problems, in your current context or with your current clients, where do you see it? Is it, is it um, simple, which is down at the bottom, which is we're very close to, we're, we have strong agreement on what's wrong and strong high certainty on what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Complicated is we have a little less certainty and a little less um, confidence in what's going on and why or how to address it. But then when we get it complex, we really don't know what we don't know and we don't know how to fix it. And then that, that could go all the way up to chaos. Yeah. So where do you fall as a seller in your current context? And everybody would tend to self-identify either right in the complex, right in the heart of it, or right on the border of complicated or right on the border of chaos. Right. So now I know where they play in the space of agility, that what will work for them and what won't. So if they're complicated or bordering on that, you're just talking about algorithmic kinds of automation and or improvements that you can dial in with a little bit of heuristic. On the chaos side, it's because either the client doesn't know what they want, they're all over the place, or we know exactly what they want, but dealing with the bureaucracy on our side is a nightmare. So it's, it's one or the other. If you're in the complex space, great. Let's just talk about how to identify known unknowns. And that worked for them. I didn't tell them we're agile fit. They told me how complex their space was. And I said, well, here's some techniques around agile and design thinking that will help you identify what you don't know yet, whether it's what we're trying to accomplish or how we're going to do it. And then we did do another one called the cone of uncertainty. You know, the cone on the left-hand side, it's very wide. The right-hand side, it's very narrow. What you don't want to do over here is commit to doing something by the end of this timeline that you really don't even know how you're going to do it. So it's in that space, you're bouncing all around with the creative process going, what do we know? What don't we know? How do we build something tangible out of the, produce some known unknowns out of the, out of all the ambiguity. And we do that with a bunch of techniques that happen to be, you know, design thinking and agile related. And so we sucker them. (laughs) (laughs) I would have said, yeah, you, you consultively, you know, satisfy yeah. the needs that they currently have, but, you know, your, yeah. your, your version's good, too. <laughs> you, you, they got to be willing to start the conversation. And after that, it's just yeah. you helping them find the, a confidence or, or safety in placing themselves somewhere in those spaces. And then go, oh, OK. And, what, and when we talk about how do you navigate the cone of uncertainty, it's the, the mantra is what's just enough now to know to be able to move forward exactly. what's yeah. just enough to get something a little more tangible a little more manageable measurable so all i'm trying to do is take some known unknowns out of the complexity space put them in the complicated space yeah that's and that's great. that's what i have found to be the most uh, i guess biggest part of the exercise is defining that is measurable right because yeah. it and that's really the hardest part of formulating metrics or kpis and how yeah. do they make it and because a lot of times I think most people just trust that others are the experts and they'll take their word for it and they'll apply yeah. some consulting methodology that they read in a book as, as to fact, instead of evolving the approach around the uniqueness of the business, around the process, the uniqueness of the people, so on and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. And building awareness and understanding, I think, is what most organizations are seeking the leadership development, management development, attraction and retention is really building more awareness and understanding around the problem itself. Yeah. And so talking and formulating it that way instead of 
um, others were, were so futuristic looking. Um, yeah. It's nice to hear that your approach takes in the historical information and almost takes the individual on a self journey, just like yeah. we're seeing most effective in the diversity, equity, and inclusion training. People yeah. don't admit have an issue or a challenge, you're, you're, you're talking to a brick wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. But best consultants, like you're saying that you are doing as well is Pat Lynchoni talked about it in Naked in his book, talked about it, it's got to be their ideas. It has to come from them. You telling them is not going to be an effective strategy. That's, that's the, the leaders you can work with are the ones that um, they know that it, they know what they want to do and they're open to it, or you help present it to them in a way that it becomes their idea. Correct. Correct. And, and if you can do that, you, you can do anything. And if, if you can get anybody to say, okay, uh, I've been invited into a conversation where I know I could change and I know things could be different. I don't know how to address it and then feel safe enough to, to identify what they don't know, what they need to know. Yeah. Great. Now they're on a learning path. Exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. Oh, so, oh, oh, Kevin, transparency is important. Sorry, Chris. Okay. Because if you're not transparent, you can't inspect. If you can't inspect, you can't adapt. So it's the empirical process we have to follow, the scientific method. And I'm telling you in the early stages of all that ambiguity and uncertainty, qualitative metrics are good enough. Yes. If yes. I have three or four different qualitative options and I pick two, I've made a quantitative metric statement, measurable Correct. statement. Correct. And a lot of that, a lot of data is just sitting in different silos and different buckets within the organization. And that's the yes. silo nature of the collective intelligence or, or yeah. collective problem solving. They're yeah. missing certain pieces of information that are vital to identifying what the actual problem is. Right. And to your point, is almost like that discovery process to really identify what the actual disease is instead yeah. of uh, focusing your time, energy, and efforts on a symptom. And it's like, yeah. that's the problem, that's what it is. So yeah. it is the process of kind of identifying what the actual problem is so then you can work mm. towards a symptom. Yeah. Now, this, this is a great touch point to why is it so hard for leaders to change or understand the necessity of change? And, and really, the, after the three constructs of any, any team needing as baseline to be able to outperform or find breakthrough, the other thing they need is not marketing, sales, accounting, CIO, HR. You need a cross-cut end-to-end value of marketing, sales, development, IT, HR, marketing, sales, development, IT, finance, HR procurement, legal, right? Every team should have somebody represented across the towers that's doing an end-to-end cross-cut from where the value statement's coming in and where are the metrics going out in the marketplace. Yeah. And so when we, when we silo everything we're, and we're handing it to the next guy down the line, we're just replicating the manufacturing process and that doesn't fly yeah. in knowledge work. Right. And that's right. exactly what I'm seeing. And that's why I always talk about the linear view to human capital is like, that's their view. It's like, I can just, I can person yeah. in this process the tools giving them the time and i'm going to get the same output and it really just yeah. discredits the multi-dimensional impact of of the employee experience or human experience and how they impact all these other outputs in which they seek and desire and that's right. chris and i talk about diversity equity and inclusion everybody wants to start with a d and it's like no you can't you got to do the hard work in order to get to that that outcome of diversity it's not yeah. diversity is not an input it's an and it's, it's creating obviously the necessary environment in order to, to celebrate that. That's um, why Chris, yeah. Oh, last question. Hit yeah, me. So th- this has been great. And thank you so much for your time today, Mike. We love to end all of our conversations by talking about the future of work. So 
you know, in your estimation, sorry about that, you know, what do you see as being the most critical factors as, you know, workplaces continue to evolve, we can continue to adapt, continue to be agile, one of the most critical factors that organizations need to be successful in the future? You, you got to trust your people in the field to know what's, what's necessary and what's important yeah. and, and not, not require them to go through all the bureaucracy and the, yeah. all the way up the chain and all the way back down. By the time it comes back to you, uh, it's too late to do anything about it. The, the opportunity was missed or the problem is worse than it was. More, more to say, we need to, we, we need, we need to allow ourselves to be more reflective in order to be more creative. That's good. And there's a lot in that you can unpack in there, but really, yeah. what are we really trying to accomplish? What matters most to us? What are we willing to do differently to, to see better outcomes? What are we willing to take a risk on that we know is worth it, even if we can't guarantee it? And how are we going to double down on that by trusting our people who, who we brought in to do good work for us? And I think, I, I think it's a, I think it's, I think I agree with Steve Jobs when he said, or was reported to have said, um, you don't hire good people, smart people, and tell them what to do. You hire them to tell you what to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think there's a mind shift that we're just still working through. And the best companies have broken out of the Taylorism scientific management view of silos and manufacturing lines to what can we do? Let's figure out, let's allow the teams to figure out the best way to do it. And then let's find a way to coalesce that around value streams of work. And, and those are not simple things to do, but they're they're absolutely essential and it requires a whole lot of bravery and courage. I love that. I love your ending piece about bravery and courage because it does take leadership. It does take a mindset change. And uh, I agree. I think you can policy and procedure the innovation and creativity right out of the culture within the organization if, if you're not yeah. careful. Yeah. Mike, fascinating conversation today. I am going to be more reflective, to be more creative after this conversation. Um, so thank you so much. There's where the revolution time. lives, right there. There you go. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> thank you so much for your time nice. today. Like, this is fantastic. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. <laughs>